Panamanian. You know what the biggest problem in terms of causing carbon deposits in engines are? The oil that you're putting in there. The car doctor. Bottom line, EPA is clearly making changes to the formulation of gasoline, and they don't exactly know where it's going to take us. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Ronnie and the Car Doctor. Come on and sit down. Phone number is 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor hotline, that's 855-560-9900. Give us a call. As always, the 24-7 Car Doctor hotline is there for you because you can leave a message and we will return your call and talk to you about your problem and get you up here on radio so that everyone listening can, uh, you know, listen and get some education. And that's really what this radio show is about. That's what I've been trying to do these past 25, I guess it's almost 26 years now. Um, I'm feeling older by the day. How can that be? Well, I guess what they say about getting older is always a good thing, right? It's better to get older um, than not. So more information at cardoctorshow.com, tunein.com, iTunes, iHeart, and also at Google Play. And like I said, we're here for your calls, so uh, your questions. So give us a call at 855-560-9900. You know, I come home at the end of the day, and I always talk to my family, you know, how was your day? And, you know, we always have that conversation. And that's really what I try to convey to you here. You know, we always get these couple of minutes in the beginning of the show to talk, and just kind of warm up the base, so to speak. And I said, gee, what do I want to talk about today? And I thought I thought it was something that just kind of caught my eye this week. And I, I think of it as um, a tale of two heaters uh, in the sense that, you know, two, two vehicles roughly eight years apart in model year and two, de- two very different types of repairs. 2004 Chevy Tahoe came into the shop at Ari Automotive with a complaint of no heat. And it was just blowing cold air. And it wasn't a real elaborate heating air conditioning system. It was a split system. It was cold air from both sides, though. And, you know, it was manual controls. This is 2004. It wasn't really super high-tech like you might see on something today. And I went through and did my basics, did my due diligence, and looked it over and checked coolant level ran it to see what the thermostat might be running at, and scanned it for codes. Well, that's, you know, the basic drill. That's basically where you would start any sort of a complaint, any heating complaint, something of that nature. And the first one proved I hit pay dirt. There was very little coolant in the radiator. It was half empty. And the the bottle, the expansion tank on the left fender well, right fender well, I'm sorry, was empty. Gee, it's, it's out of coolant. So I filled it up with water, knowing that if I had constituted a repair, I wasn't going to waste coolant. GM Dex Cool is more than a few bucks a quart, and I thought we'd just do some water and make a long story short. Now I had the ability. I had water in it, didn't have a real harsh leak, and I was able to run the vehicle long enough. And what do you know? As soon as it hit 192 degrees, thermostat opened, did what it was supposed to do. The vehicle had heat once I burped all the air out of it. Where'd the coolant go? And talking to the new customer, who's a newbie, by the way, um, hey, Bill, if you're listening, and found out that the vehicle had lost coolant about two weeks prior and overheated. Okay, so I've got a 
perpetual coolant loss issue that's creating a no heat cold air at the ducts scenario. Couldn't find a coolant leak on this vehicle at all. And did I tell you the part where I said it's got 219,803 miles on it? So it's been around the block more than once and it's just getting broken in. So I added some cooling dye, some uh, fluorescent dye to it, and decided let me run the vehicle. And let me, you know, look for the leak. You know, I'm going to see something small. There's got to be something obvious that's that's staring me in the face. And sometimes when you're looking for a leak like this, it, it, it listen, it could be anywhere. It can be a core plug. It can be a head gasket issue. It can be something internal in the engine. But suspicion told me, based on the traces of coolant I was seeing along the front cross member, that this was probably nothing more than a weepy water pump. Even though the water pump had been replaced, I could tell by looking at it that it was newer than the rest of the vehicle, I, you know, we all know what new means, and I don't know in what timeline of new that it was done. Was it new three months old, new two months old, new three years old? Who knows? So I put some dye in it, threw it out in the parking lot, let it run, put the blinker on so that it reminded me that the engine was running, and uh, walked away. Went over to the 2013 Ford Edge. It was heater day at RNA. Like the way I said that, heater day at RNA. Don't worry, Tony, I'm going to get to you. We're going to talk about the Giants later. And same thing, cold air at the ducts. Now, this was a split system, left and right, just like the Tahoe, but it was all electronic, meaning that it has the Ford MySync system in it with the you know, navigation system and all the electronics, all the bells and whistles that we all seem to want in our cars today, but had an exact same complaint as the vehicle that was nine years newer. Older. Has to be one or the other. Went through the diagnosis, right? What do you do here? Scanned it for codes. Um, looked at coolant level. Verified thermostat operation. And found out that it had two fault codes, 11E75, 11E76. And it had plenty of coolant, and the thermostat was normal. The two fault codes were for right and left air door rationality or common sense. They weren't. They weren't seeing. It wasn't seeing the sensors. You know, an, an air door is basically think of a heater core. It's filled with hot water, and when you open the door and blow a fan across it, depending upon how open that door is, how exposed to airflow the heater core becomes. That's how much hot air it generates. Well, in this case, the computer was being was commanding open and close. But it it didn't see any movement out of the sensors. Went through and looked at all the obvious. You know, I'm thinking maybe I've got a stuck sensor. Maybe I can command it. And I could command it and I could actually make the sensors move. I could make the actuators move and see feedback on the sensors. Well, it can't be that. Recorded the freeze frame data for it. Recorded all the other information that I wanted. And cleared the code. And what do you know? The system started working again. However, it set a right side sensor as a hard failure. But it still worked. I still had heat. Went through and did some research. You know, there comes a point in any good diagnosis where you're going to get paid to sit down and start reading and start researching and start looking for information to match what that vehicle is exhibiting. And sure enough, through a hotline resource, I found Ford SSM. Special service message, 45837, if memory serves me correct, that references 2013, actually 12, 13, 14, Edge, Lincoln, and a few other Ford product vehicles 
that if it exhibits these particular fault codes and it matched the fault codes that I had, that and the vehicle had no heat or no cold, that there was a software calibration for it. In other words, an update for the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, HVAC, air conditioning module, that would correct the problem. Sure enough, yep, did the software update and fixed the vehicle. Well, I assume I fixed the vehicle. It was working before I flashed it. All I can say is it's been out there three days, and the customer hasn't called up saying, hey, the car's broken again. They understand the issues, and, you know, step by step. But look at the difference. Look at look at what fixed both cars. One car, you know, that, that nine-year-old, nine-year-older Chevy Tahoe was more of what you would expect, right? Something mechanical. It was low on coolant. Turns out it had a bad water pump. The water pump was weepy which is what the die led me to later on, by the way. But look at that 2013 Edge. Remember what I keep telling you about, and I keep making comment on how technology is changing the course and the need of repair? Here's a perfect example of it. Two similar systems, or two similar complaints and symptoms, and similar systems, but vastly different repair strategies and vastly different repair procedures. You know, here's a car. You look at the Tahoe. It needed a water pump, a thermostat, some coolant. You know, if, if the if the bill was $600, it was $300 in parts. The Ford Edge was a $250 repair, some diagnostic time, and then some software. And none of it was parts. None of it was a hard parts replacement. Look at the difference in the way those vehicles are repaired. But think deeper. Ten years from now, when more cars are fixed with software, what's that going to do to the parts distribution network in this country? And how is that going to affect them? They realize what they're up against, by the way, the parts folks. They're they're getting they're really on the bandwagon. I can't say they're jumping on it. They've been there for a very long time. And they're they're very actively trying to train this generation of repair shops to make them understand repair procedures, but also to create an allegiance with them so that they they, they, they think of, you know, who's taking care of them so they can take care of and vice versa. Parts are going to become an issue in terms of less parts will be sold on the car of the future when it gets repaired than currently being you know, dictated out there. So just something to think about. Just, just, it just really got my attention when I thought about that. That means less parts being purchased. That means less parts being needed. That means less deliveries, less warehousing and and so on. So just, just wanted to pass that along. Hello and welcome to the car doctor. I'm Ron Ananian, AKA the car doctor, 855-560-9900 is the phone number. And uh, I hope that story made sense. It just happened this week, this, this past week, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. That was in the shop. So two vehicles, two similar conditions, two vastly different repairs. Hey, we're going to return and kick the garage doors open right after this. Don't go away. I'll be right back.
Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's kick the garage doors open and go talk to Mike in Shenandoah, Iowa. Mike, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Ron, thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. And I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for uh, the information and that you provide for us, uh, regular working Joes out here. Um, pl- my, my ha- happy to be is, here I've, for you, Mike. Yes, sir. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I've got a, that's all right. I've got a 2001 Ford Ranger with a 2.3 liter four cylinder. And, uh, and it's got a five speed uh, in it. And a friend of mine told me that whenever I'm towing with that, I should never put it in fifth gear. And I wanted to see what your opinion of it was. If if you're towing in, in fifth gear, like towing 2,000 pounds, am I prematurely wearing out the clutch on that vehicle? I think it depends on where and when. First of all, is the vehicle as it's set up rated to tow that 2,000 pounds? It has the tow package, yeah. Okay. So as long as you're not exceeding the tow design of what they originally set the vehicle up for, my thoughts on towing in fourth or fifth gear are simply what's the engine load, and, you know, where is the engine? Are we lugging it? You know, uh, fifth, fifth gear in that Ranger towing, uh, you know, are you doing 65, 70 miles an hour, or are you just cruising along at 45, 50? 40, 55. I'm a, I'm a 55 guy. I'm stuck in the six, or in the 70s when the, when the speed limit was 55. Yeah, I get it, and that's okay. But, you know, my question is where's engine RPM? Uh, you know, I don't want to be dogging it so that it's down so low that if I have to accelerate or – I'm making the. I'm more worried about making the engine work too hard. You know, it's okay. it's it's. I'm not so. I'm not so worried about the wear and tear on the clutch. I don't see how that's going to get affected unless you get to that long hill and you're trying to pull it in fifth in fifth gear and you're making the engine work harder and you're lugging it so bad that it starts to buck and shake and you know I'd put it in fourth gear and accelerate. Uh, you know, explain to me. Have your friend explain to me or you how is the clutch going to wear if the pressure plates grabbing the clutch disc how's the clutch going to wear the clutch isn't slipping if the clutch is slipping it's going to wear right sure sure you know if you okay. if, if you partially push in on the clutch pedal it's going to wear because you're going to make it slip but as long as that clutch is engaged you know my concern is are you going to lug the engine are you pulling the engine into too low of an rpm range that it's going to have to work harder to accelerate for the occasional dips and bumps and inclines on the road so, you know, he's not wrong for what he's thinking. He's just he's just wrong for what he thinks the problem is going to be. My opinion. Okay, we were we were just discussing the gear ratios, you know, because when you go to fifth, you're at point seven nine, I think, on the Ranger, and right. when you're at fourth, you're at one to one. Right. And that's that's that was probably what uh, brought on this discussion. Yeah, I mean, I think you know what? I think it's also a matter of comfort. You know, listen. Well, I'll give you a different example. The hot rods, the hot rods, a five-speed. Okay. All right. So you know, there's a there's a performance application, and you know, if I'm if I'm around town at 45, 50 miles an hour, that engine runs happiest between 2,500 and 3,500 RPM as an everyday. You know, that's sort of the 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 power band where I try to keep it where it seems to be happy. Under 2,500, under two grand, it lugs, it pulls, it it. It it just you can just feel the way the engine's not really responsive, so I'm I'm, I'm actually hurting it. Could I run around town in fourth gear? Yeah. Could I run around town in fifth gear? Yeah. It wouldn't like it, but I could do it. You know. So it's it's also a sense of how does it feel to you, and that's the question for you, the operator. How does that feel when you're towing it, and you know the difference between fourth and fifth, what feels right and what doesn't. 
And yeah. you know that's just something I've learned over time with the hot rod. You'll you know you're you're you'll do it this way too. Have you towed with this yet and done it in fifth gear and fourth gear? Do you feel the difference? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it it tacks a lot more RPM in fourth gear. You know, and I right. just uh, I mean, and that 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 concerns me too. You know, because you're you're running. I mean, it. I don't know, it's probably another 200, 300 RPM when you're in fourth gear as opposed to fifth. Yeah, and you know what, then there's the, and there's the fuel consumption, and then there's, there's you know, making the engine work a little harder. It is just a little four-cylinder pulling a one-ton trailer uh, or a one-ton whatever it is. Right. So, you know, all that's, all that's part of the mix. But now think of it like this. If the power band is happiest at, oh, 1,800 RPM, you know, I don't know, you know, in fifth gear, and I guess maybe that's a good experiment. Take it out on the highway at 55 miles an hour in fifth gear. Where's the RPM? Okay. And, you know, when you're towing it with the trailer, how how does it feel between fourth and fifth? And where does it seem like it's the most responsive? And that's really what I would be looking more at in terms of, you know, where to, where where and how and what do I want to shift this gear with? Okay. All right. Okay. And that's That's something else to consider. All right, sir. All right. Well, like I say, thanks for the service you provide. We we listen to you and get a lot of good tips from you. We've, I've learned a lot about doing my own maintenance, and I've learned about how to pick a good mechanic from listening to you. Well, thank you, sir. And uh, I, I take that very serious. You know, I, I sometimes I forget what it is I'm doing here, and I hate to say it like that, but it's the truth. I, You know, you lose sight. It's been 25 going on 26 years, and I hear things like that. I, I received an email recently from a young man who, telling me the story about it. He used to listen to the radio show with his grandfather a good 10, 12 years ago. Today he's a mechanic. He's 30 years old, and he's you know, he's a mechanic somewhere in Maryland. And uh, you know what? You hear things like that. You, you, you turn people's lives into that. You go, wow, what an impact, right? You try and leave the place a better place than you found it. So I appreciate it, Mike, and uh, thanks to you and everybody out in Iowa. I'm Ron Anini in The Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's get back to the busy phones. Jason in Minneapolis and some questions about a 2007 Yukon. Jason, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Yeah, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, uh, I've actually recently, in the last couple of years, uh, experimented a little bit with um, higher blended ethanol fuel, higher than 10%. Okay. And uh, I have an 07 uh, three-quarter ton Yukon, and... I'm interested in converting it over to a basically a flex fuel vehicle. Um, however, I don't necessarily want to take the route of the you know two three hundred dollar kits that uh, delay the injector pulse or they, they change the injector pulse. And really, what I like to do is just have a flash done on the computer uh, to to modify it. And I have a hard time finding anyone that really does it. Can you give me some information or your opinion on that? Are you familiar with GM Bulletin 0506040035E? Nope. <laughs> okay. Usage of E85 fuel in a non non ethanol based non E85 vehicle, and it's it's six pages, and it details why you can't do what you want to do. I mean, you can do it, but it's gonna it's gonna tell you what's gonna happen in terms of corrosion in the fuel system, the damage it's gonna cause, and some of the issues you're gonna have. 
But General Motors has such a problem with this that they actually came out with this bulletin about a year ago because they're trying to prevent people from just, you know, making a non-flex fuel or a non-E85 vehicle into one without understanding the ramifications. It's a problem. It's not something you can do easily. And, you know, you – I mean, I understand why. It's probably a a cost per gallon to operate uh, issue. But, you know, the fact is that it's not just any one component. It's it's gas tank components. It's you know it's the fuel pump. It's the way the computer is programmed. You are correct. It's uh, you know they have concerns with uh, moisture in the fuel system. They've got to put some sensors in the uh, fuel tank and then put some indicators on the dashboard. So it's not just a matter of filling it up and go. And sure, does um, does Ford have the same problems? I believe all the manufacturers have the same problem. E eighty five is E eighty five. To my knowledge. Unless unless the vehicle is rated from the manufacturer to run as a flexible fuel vehicle, it doesn't. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm not one to subscribe to that because I've I've had firsthand experience with it for multiple years with not having problems and you know other people that do it. Right. Um. So I'm not too afraid. Do you know anyone that or where I could go for a tune? Because really that doesn't scare me too. You know, scare me away too right. much because. I don't, I don't know anybody that does it in our area, and I'll tell you why, because bulletins like this from the manufacturer now put the liability. Imagine me, the repair shop, and I program your vehicle with a non – well, first of all, I can't put an incorrect calibration in your vehicle. In, in, in my experience in flashing, unless GM recognizes that VIN, if, you know, if, if it tells me if, – if I try to put – software into a vehicle that's not correct for the part number on the vehicle PCM, it won't let me do it. I can't overwrite that, not at my level, not as a repair shop. Now, is there somebody out there that's doing it? I'm sure there is. You know, would I want to be the guy to tell you to do that? No, because, you know, we live in a litigious society. I can't imagine the liability factor. Um, You know, it would make more sense to me to tell you to sell the vehicle and buy an E85 rated vehicle and not have the problem, not have to worry about, repair costs and other things. Yeah, like you say, I'm sure there's people out there that are getting away with it, but I don't yeah, think GM I just I just have a hard time because I mean, you look at you look at the part numbers and they're almost identical on a flex versus a non-flex, so I think I think a lot of what we're receiving is kind of uh Well, let me ask line, you the question you know? this way. Do you think there's a difference in those parts because of the part numbers being so close? Uh I honestly I think, you know, it could be a factor on some manufacturers, but I think across the board, we'd be having problems. We'd be having tons and tons of problems because we already have a higher blends in certain states. Some states that they do they do E15, and that's all you can get. Well, let me ask let me ask the question this way then: Do you think a company the size of General Motors, with all the parts that they have to index and keep track of, just comes up with different part numbers for a flex fuel vehicle versus a, a straight gasoline engine? Just for the heck of it? Probably not. <laughs> you know, there's probably a reason here. And, and and that's what I'm trying to point out to you, that, you know, you can do it. You can do it at your own peril. Uh, you can be the science project. But to me, you know, unless I see proof in the pudding results. And you know what? We live in, we live in a technology age. And I'm not trying to beat you up, Jason. I'm just trying to keep your eyes wide open. If If we were at the shop, we'd be having this exact same conversation. And I would tell you, jump sure. on the Internet, show me somebody that's done it, explain to me how they did it and got away with it, show me that they've been doing it longer than six months, that they haven't had the issues, and then I'd say, okay, yeah, yeah, then 
then you maybe you can. You can you can go on YouTube and and find you know find many people that do it. Uh, my question for you is: How many vehicles have you serviced that have damage from ethanol? Um, damage from ethanol. Yep, a handful. Not really a lot, but uh, you know, I don't see we don't see a lot of flex fuel vehicles in the shop to begin with. And I'm not saying they're sure. the only ones with yeah. ethanol, but we don't see. And and keep in mind, I think ethanol, I think ethanol and ethanol damage is a result of. I think it's a regional issue around the country. I think certain parts of the country run different blends of fuel, and I think certain parts of the country are more susceptible to ethanol issues. Sure. Just 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 from just from my seat here, but you know you can't you can't look at one repair shop and say, hey, what are you seeing? Because you know. In Bergen County, uh, you know, it's it's a totally different world than Central Jersey, than South Jersey, than Pennsylvania, than New York. And, you know, the variety changes and, and the issues and the problems change, uh, you know. And let me just one last comment. YouTube is a guideline. It's not an authority. I, oh, I, I'm fully aware. Yeah, you I just, to, you, you, know, you know, take it at your own discretion. Right. Take it at your own discretion and just be careful. Like I said, Unless somebody could come up to me and say General Motors came out with that bulletin because the engineer said we have to do it for liability or maybe we have to do it for emissions. Maybe we're trying to meet an EPA mandate. I'm not sure, but I wouldn't want to go fooling around. I wouldn't want to pump the wrong fuel or the incorrect fuel into my $35,000, $40,000 vehicle when the manufacturer tells me not to. And then if there's a problem, expect to get some kind of warranty or service or satisfaction. It doesn't make any sense. Sure. All right, I sir. So, good luck to you. You let Mark, us know what happens. You'll be the um, you'll be the science project, and uh, we'll, yeah, I, we'll we'll look forward to it. I, all right, thank you. All right, you're welcome, Jason. Eight five 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 six zero. Well, you know, what do you do with that? By the way, let me just jump in here real quick. Hey, Tone, can I just ask you real quick? Sure. What's the um, question? Well, just you know, let me just finish my thought. You know that that I get what Jason's trying to do, but y- 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 you know, you you what's that expression? You can't put a, you can't put a silk hat on a on a pig and make it look any better. True, something like that. You can't dress up a pig; it's still a pig. Um, the Giants are two and three. I know this. Yeah. Who now, are you, you want know, a wolf now? Well, no. You know, every time every time I talk about the Giants, they seem to lose, and when I don't talk about them, they seem to lose. It's like it's just not our year. It's just not your year. No, it's not. So, but at least you're not the Jets fans. It, it, yeah, it could be worse. Could be worse. Yes, so. or better yet, at least you're not Mets fans. Exactly. Exactly. So look at it this way: the season's five games old. What do you got? Another seven, eight games? Yeah, it'll be over soon. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and Andy in the car doctor. We are back right after this. back. We're on the, the car doctor. Let's get over and talk to Bernie from Florida, 2001 Explorer Sport Trek. Bernie, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, how you doing, Doc? Good, sir. Um, I had a weird problem. I, was, I listened to you faithfully up in Maine. Uh, it's interesting to see the types of questions people come up with from time to time. So I got one for you here. Right, I'm down in Florida, driving around on this flat land that's around here. 
I have a severe slippage in third gear, so I get it to second and uh, put it in second and get above 2,500 RPM. Then it slides into the higher gears uh, and it gets by. It didn't have enough money to go put a new transmission in it for 2,500 to 3,000 bucks. But uh, so I got by and you know, hopefully seeing how things go in, in the country here. Uh, it looks like I'm going to get my dog and my gun and my Bible and live in a cave. But uh, <laughs> that that being said, um, I was thinking uh, Australia, and then I found out Australia doesn't take people over fifty. So uh, I was, uh, I was uh, yeah, I'm seventy-five. I, so. I, I, I'm depending on on all the things that are going down the tubes. So right. hey, life is anyway, good. So. Speaking of going down the tubes, uh, I'm, I'm mesmerized because I drive this truck in the last. Uh, for the, for the summer, I drove it up to Maine, and while in Maine, riding around on the hills and all that stuff, didn't slip a bit. I just came down through the Allegheny Mountains, uh, places Daniel Boone couldn't walk, and uh, nothing, no problems whatsoever. Uh, I'm stumped. I, I had to put on a scope down here. I got some sort of a 700 code that said it was a mechanical failure, and uh, I get three options to get a junk transmission all the way up to one that was rebuilt with all the things they should have done when they built the truck. Um, well, so as a, yeah, I, I don't know what to do. Will I get rid of this truck before it dies completely, or if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I, so, I'm confused. So hang on a second, Bernie. So up in Maine, it rode fine. Down here, wherever you are, you're in the Allegheny Mountains. All of a sudden, it's acting up. The trans is an issue. No, no, I'm down in Florida. We're in flatland down here where there is no hills, and it backs up. I get up in the mountains, it's not a problem. Okay. Have you been back to the mountains yet to know that for a fact? Well, I drove all the way to Maine, spent all summer long driving around, uh, and, you know, it's, it's uh, hilly where I am, uh, spent all summer driving around, and then drove back down here to Florida for the, for the winter, down through the Allegheny Mountains, and uh, you would think if it was, you know, to put torque on a transmission would be the time it slipped. I was right, like, you know, and I agree with that. I agree with that statement. Nothing happened. Do you do you remember what do you remember what fault code they said? Seven thirty three, seven forty five. Uh, it's only that it was a component failure, not a not a uh, relay or something electrical. It could be right. Um, yeah, because there's two possibilities, as it would explain to me. It could be an electrical thing that uh, they could be corrected relatively easy, or it was internal mechanical, and that's what the code said. It was internal and mechanical. Failure. You know, to me, mechanical is always mechanical. Mechanically, it works. Mechanically, it doesn't. I, I, yeah, I, that's what confused I, me. I've I've seen very few mechanical failures in my career. All right, that you know were intermittent like that. Either they work or they don't. So, you know, what I would well, say, better. right, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's either your arm's broken or it's not. It's mechanical. It's, it's, it's connected or it's not. It's one or the other. Uh, yeah. you know, I've never seen a transmission fix itself. So I would tend to rule out the mechanical side of it as a, prob- as a probability and think more about the electrical and why it's affected the difference between Maine and Florida, high, you know, mountains to flatland. Uh, you know, we could, we could have conjecture from now until the time we took it apart and fixed it. It's but, diabolical. Right. Uh, I would, I would think more in code, terms of electrical I, how, stuff. Without the, code, without the code, how do I know what, uh, you know, superfluous uh, uh, factors are involved here? Versus something inside the transmission. Well, you know, now let me but let me ask the question this way: How many miles are on this? One forty. One forty. Yeah, you probably owe it a trans because, as you say, there's more than a, there's more than a half a dozen or more updates for that particular unit. 
that yep. you know I know when the rebuilders go through them, there's there's so many updates and so many replacements and upgrades for an O one Exploder, uh, which is their nickname, and it's because of the transmission that we call it that uh, <laughs> you know that that's that's what that gets. So I would tell you, you know, either you're going to live with it or be prepared at least if you're going to do it, pull it apart, put the trans in it, get it over with. Let them go through a top to bottom. Make sure it's got nationwide coverage. That way, whatever cave you end up in, you'll be okay and protected. Bernie, I appreciate the call. 855-560-9900. Up against the clock. I got to go. I'll be right back. Welcome back. We're on the Eating the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900 is the 24-7 number. Keep in mind that if we are not in the air or we're not live in your neighborhood, we're live on the network Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, that you can call 855-560-9900. Leave a message, and we will call you back and put you up here on air and talk to you about your problem, because that's what this radio show is about. Hey, uh, real quick before I go this hour, we started out at the top of this hour talking a little bit about some unique repairs and making comments about parts and training and the education process and how the industry is changing. Well, a tip of the hat to the folks over at Denso. Denso, who are an OE supplier, right? they supply parts to the manufacturers as well as the aftermarket, have partnered with Parts Authority, a, a major parts warehouse here in the continental United States, partsauthority.com, and put it, and they have put together a series of training classes, making them available to repair shops and technicians, just like you or I, for my, for my brothers in, in wrenches out there that are listening to the show today and, and following the show. So you can get out to partsauthority.com and, and look and see what it is they have in terms of parts and develop a relationship with them. And I say that because that helps support the industry that's supporting us. We have to take care of our own in this case. But as I look through the Denso guide, their technical training guide, there's more than a few classes here on everything from Chrysler engine performance, Ford engine performance, uh, General Motors. I went to the class recently here in Paramus, New Jersey on General Motors ignition systems, and um, we had a great time. Uh, matter of fact, the instructor, Chris Lewis, is a former employee. I know Chris is on a personal basis, a real good guy. And um, just down-to-earth, real solid technical information, and um, I just want to say thank you to them you know, here on radio and just let you know that it's it's not so bleak uh, for all the repair shops out there that are thinking like, gee, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? You know, there are manufacturers out there like Denso. There are parts houses out there like Parts Authority, partsauthority.com, that are trying to make it possible for the independent repair shops to survive and thrive and grow. And, um, you know, we've got to look at that. And, you know, and we've been talking about parts here as well. And, you know, I've heard your woes and complaints about the white box part and the cheap part. And you know what? I even know even the name brand parts. Everybody has their issues. And the only way we're going to solve this is to make our voices heard and also to stay with the name brand parts and try and get them to improve their product over time. But I'll tell you what, the parts can be the best in the world. If we don't have the training, if we don't have the knowledge, there's no way we're going to survive, and this industry is going to look drastically different. So um, just something to be aware of. Get out to partsauthority.com for more information as well as take a look at Denso. Hey, the hands of the great Pravag tell me that this hour is just sort of flowing by. 
There's more Car Doctrine to come after the news at the top of the hour on most of these affiliates. Until then, I'm Ron Anani and the Car Doctor, reminding each and every one of you, good mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See ya. Let's go.